Good evening. Give you a warm welcome as we come to worship our God, whether we're here in the building or whether you're joining us online. We pray that God's Spirit would be amongst us, teaching us and helping us. After two Sundays uh, where John in the evening has taught us on our giving, tonight the subject changes to handling criticism. Now I'm not going to say I'm looking forward to it because sometimes criticism is a challenge, isn't it? But we pray that we'll be humble enough to learn and to take on board what John teaches us from his word. Well, we're going to stand and sing our first song um, as they lead us in worship, which is meekness and majesty. As we sing this song, um, look through the verses where the first half is very much focusing on the attributes of Jesus. And then the second half links to what he has done. So, and that should lead our hearts in worship. So, let's stand as they lead us with the music.
to our God in prayer. Let's, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father God, we, we come into your presence and we think about what we've just been singing. We think about the way your son reflected you. We think about the way that he was obedient to you. And he came down in a human form. And he suffered as a human, despite being truly God. The way that he lowered himself to wash our feet. The way he served us. The way he was willing to die on the cross. To have his hands pierced. To suffer those cruel injuries. And he died. Though he had done no wrong, though no sin was found in him, he was willing to die for us. Lord, for all of us who would come to you and ask for forgiveness, come to you trusting in his death, that his death would have taken away the punishment for our sins. And Lord, now he's in heaven with you, on high, And Lord, there'll be that day where we will be raised as heirs. We will be raised as brothers and sisters. Lord, we can't imagine it. But Lord, we look forward to it. And Lord, we pray for any here who do not know Jesus as their saviour. Lord God, we pray that tonight you would speak to them. We pray that the Holy Spirit would work in their lives, would show them their need of a saviour, convict them of their sin and we pray that they would turn to you for forgiveness. Lord God, there's nothing in this world that matters in comparison to having your sins forgiven. There's nothing as important as coming to know that peace with you. And Lord, we pray that tonight you would work mightily. Lord God, we As we come before you, we want to um, ask you that you would strengthen our faith. As John taught us this morning, as he led us in those various aspects of Moses' faith, we pray that we would apply those into our lives. And as we go through the week, we pray that in all the difficulties that we may face, Lord, you would help us to endure. We pray that if we face persecution, or sly comments that you would help us to resist. Lord, we pray that as we go through those, we would shelter uh, beneath your faith. Lord God, there may be challenges this week, but Lord, help us to look to you as we go through them. We thank you that you are a God who cares, and we ask that we would cast our cares upon you. Whatever the troubles that we face, we would look to you to be strengthened. And Lord, we may be going through time of joy. And Lord, we are told to rejoice with those who rejoice. And we pray that in our rejoicing, we may be thanking you for your goodness to us. And Lord, when we think of trouble, when we think of pain, Lord, we think of the church that is persecuted around the world, 
We think of those countries where Christianity is not welcome, where you're not welcome, yet where they can't stop you. Lord, we pray that those Christians who are being persecuted, who are being imprisoned, who are being deprived basic necessities, may they look to you for strengthening. May they look to you for comfort. May they look to you for support. Knowing that you are a God who can provide for all their needs. And Lord, as we've prayed for us here, we pray for those in our locality. We especially think of the events as we try to reach out, to spread your word, to tell people about Jesus. We ask that you would bless your word in those various events. We pray for the planning that is going into those events at this time. Lord, whether they're soon, like Connect tomorrow. Lord, we pray for the outreach event at St Richard's on Saturday. We pray you be with Steph as she gives her testimony there. Lord, we pray for the Christmas events coming up. Lord, we ask that you would be preparing hearts and minds to receive that word into their lives. We pray you would be preparing um, souls to be coming to you, looking for forgiveness. Lord, we don't look to ourselves. We look to you. And as we prayed for those Christians who live in countries where The government is not favourable to Christianity in any way. We remember our own country. We remember our own government. Lord, we are told to pray for them, as you have put them in power. Lord God, we, we look at some of the decisions they make and Lord know they are serving in their own wisdom. We ask that they would look to you. We ask that you would draw them to you. We especially remember... Any Christians who are serving in Parliament, or whether that is as an MP, or whether they are serving in another capacity, we pray that you would use them to change and to have an influence in our government. Lord God, we want to remember the Swansons for you at this time. We ask that you would be with them. We ask as they serve you, that you, through their service, would bring much fruit you in their name. And Lord God, as we turn to your word firstly to read it, and in a short while for John to bring it to us, to preach it to us, Lord, may we remember that it is your word. We pray our hearts would be receptive for what you have to say to us. We pray that when we leave this building tonight, our hearts would have received the message you'd have for us. And we would be changed to be more like you. And we ask that your name would have all the honour and glory. Amen. We're going to stand for our next song, which is Christ be in my waking as the sun is rising in my day of working with me every hour. Let's stand as we sing this song.
We're going to turn for our Bible reading now, and the passage that John is preaching on is found in 2 Corinthians and chapter 10. So we're going to read 2 Corinthians and chapter 10. I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, I, who am humble when face to face with you, but bold towards you when I am away, I beg of you that when I am present, I may not have to show boldness with such confidence as I count on showing against some who suspect us of walking according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ's, Let him remind himself that just as he is Christ's, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say, his letters are weighty and strong, But his bodily presence is weak, and his speech of no account. Let such person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. But when they measure themselves by one another, and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us, to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labours of others. But our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged, so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you, without boasting of the work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Come to our our third song, which is Jesus, the name, high overall, which is a contrast, isn't it, to those that we've been reading about who are boasting in themselves, but we would rather boast in Jesus. Jesus, the name, high overall, in hell or earth or sky, angels and men before it fall, and devils fear and fly. Let's stand as we sing this.
2 Corinthians chapter 10 is a chapter I've not directly spoken from uh, before. I have referred to it, but I've not really spoken from it or studied it a lot before. Um, So in a way, I was uh, daunted about approaching it this evening, Um, prayerful, Um, excited to be covering a passage that I don't know very well. And as so often is the case, as I've got into it, I found it so helpful, uh, so relevant to many situations. Um, I'd say I'm still trying to understand it clearer. So uh, this evening you're certainly not going to get the final word on 2 Corinthians 10. But a Sunday evening is here. Uh, You're in front of me. I need to speak from it. You will get where I've got to. Um, In a way, I feel almost like, uh, well, it happens with me when I take a photo using my mobile. Perhaps it doesn't happen with you, but I try and take a photo and it usually tells me, steady your hand to sharpen the image, which makes it worse because you then shake around even more. And the image is too blurry and it needs steadying uh, to be sharper, to be clearer. And I feel in a way that this evening I'm going to be giving um, different points which are good, helpful, they're from God's word, but the way I present it and understanding, uh, maybe the image needs sharpening a bit. And perhaps as you go away and read the passage for yourself, think about your own situation, you'll be able to be the steady hand that sharpens to see the relevance of this great insightful chapter to your own life. As we Go into chapter 10, moving on from the two chapters about giving. Paul turns more directly to those who are against Paul, and particularly their lingering followers in the church at Corinth. So those who have opposed Paul and had their influence, they still seem to have some sympathisers, if you like, in the congregation, which is a big damage. The anti-gospel influence has not been flushed out fully at Corinth. And he turns to them more in these last few chapters. And there is an accusation which is the backdrop of this chapter. It comes up in verse 10. It will help you to see this. In fact, it will help you if you've got Bibles to have them open or Bible apps open because we're going to be going through quite a lot of the chapter and you'll see what's happening if you you have it in front of you. But verse 10 helps to set the background. This is the accusation. For they say... His letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Okay, that's what they were accusing Paul of. And you you get a sense of it as well from verse 1, when he says, in inverted commas I think, follows the hyphen here, I who am humble when face to face with you, but bold toward you when I am away. And you get it a bit in verse 8 as well. For even if he boasts a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building up and for not destroying you. It's as if they're saying, Paul is too big for his boots. Paul, when he's away, writes uh, strong letters. But have you seen him? This is a different kettle of fish. He's nobody to follow. And Paul then is trying to help these Corinthians in the face of criticism. 
Now, I don't know about you, but Handling Criticism is the title I've given to this. Handling Criticism, I find a very um, difficult and a very delicate business. Don't you? I think most people do. Handling criticism, helping people in the face of criticism, I find terribly difficult. Now, criticism can be, it can be good, valuable, gold dust, helpful. When it comes humbly, thoughtfully, lovingly, in a good friendship, iron sharpens iron, so helpful. Criticism can be good. Uh, Criticism can be unfair and mixed. So it can be unfair, largely, and yet contain some nugget of truth. And if you're in that situation, I've been on the receiving end of some of that, well then do try and take the nugget of truth, don't miss that, but move on quickly and don't get too demolished by the rest of it. But criticism can also be very damaging and offbeam. Uh, there's a few times when I've had people speak to me over the years in tears over the criticisms they've received. And that was from Christians. Well, Paul's criticisms that he, were, he was receiving were, were criticisms which had bite, which were personal, which were dismissive, which were undermining. They were, they were questioning his integrity. They were questioning his gospel. It was a dangerous business, the criticisms that he was receiving. It's risky for the health of the Corinthians. Now, we don't know exactly what the Apostle Paul looked like. It doesn't say things in the New Testament. Uh, there is a second century account in a book not totally reliable, but which says, giving you a translation of it, that Paul was a, a man of middling size and his hair was scanty and his legs were a little crooked and his knees were far apart. He had large eyes and his eyebrows met and his nose was somewhat long. He's not the sort of person that would be a photo shoot of your magazine for Corinthian power speakers. And that seemed a big problem to these opposers of Paul, and it was causing a bit of a problem in Corinth as they thought of Paul and his appearance, and it wasn't ticking their boxes. Paul himself admits in the next chapter not to being the most eloquent, the best speaker by their standards, 11 and verse 6. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. And they were using these things about Paul, his, his, his sort of presence, if you like, and his speaking ability or inability as they saw it, to undermine Paul and his credibility and his gospel. So he is looking to help people in the face of criticism, which is personal, which is unfair, which is undermining. So I think there's going to be some things for us here. Um, I remember a good few years ago now, 
uh, I had the opportunity to suggest some topics to a minister's seminar uh, locally. Uh, I was a young pastor, I've only been a pastor a couple of years, and I just gave uh, one topic for them to uh, think of uh, doing. It was handling criticism. Handling criticism. I'm sure there are many others in a similar situation in church life, perhaps at the start, often many years on, for whom handling criticism is a a massive issue. But it's not just a a concern for church life. This is a church situation we're looking into this evening. It is relevant to church situations, but it's not just going to speak into church situations. It will speak into uh, family marriage situations. Isn't criticism a very sensitive issue in marriages? What do you mean that I didn't say that? What do you mean that I approached it wrongly? Isn't criticism a sharp, real issue in marriages? Working life? Somebody files a complaint on you and it's not fair? The boss is on your case far too much. It feels like the megaphone in the picture. In your community life, your neighbour is very touchy over nothing, keeps popping round, complaining about things. Isn't it an issue in friendships? The way you spoke to them or didn't speak to them caused a real hoo-ha. Or the way they spoke to you or didn't speak to you caused a real hoo-ha. So I think we're going to find some help here for us in church life, in life in general. Now we need to remember that, of course, Paul isn't writing this chapter just to give them tips on handling criticism. He has a bigger goal. He's concerned to keep them on board with the gospel, to keep them united, to keep the gospel advancing. So he has a bigger goal in mind. And I hope that this evening will help us with that bigger goal in mind of Christian health, gospel advancement, unity in the church. Now, I've actually got seven points, so we're going to have to move quite quickly this evening. Uh, the, The first four are are to do with our forcefulness. And then the second three are to do with our focus. I'm afraid they're not very sort of memorable points in themselves. They don't all hang together. So if you need something memorable, remember the sort of two halves. And uh, I think you'd need to rely on your notes or or looking at the slide on um, the website or whatever to get the other points Our forcefulness. We're going to be going through the chapter really and picking out different points. This is the first um, thing about handling criticism, the way that Paul responds, is copy Christ's meekness, not rash boldness. Copy Christ's meekness, not rash boldness. So, verse 1. I, Paul, myself, entreat you, by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. We can be hurt by criticism. We usually are. And like an injured animal, we can become savage in response to criticism. We can be hard. We can be authoritative. 
We can think that, they say that about me, well, they've got something coming. I'm just not going to stand for that. I'm going to let them have it. And I'll have you know, I've got a few levers of power, and those levers of power are going to be pulled. I remember when I was working in the personnel department, I asked my senior manager what I needed to say to the personnel colleagues in the police department, and so I passed it on, passed it on to one of them. He just laughed in my face on the phone. He, he said, oh, I want to put you on to my colleague. Put me on to your colleague. You tell him what you just said. I told him what I just said. He laughed at, uh, at me on the phone, and so it was all humiliating. I told my senior manager about the whole incident and the way in which uh, uh, they had treated me, and um, my manager, who had been humiliated by the whole thing because it was his original advice, he says, they'll regret that. They'll regret that. And they would have regretted it, because that's the sort of manager he was. I don't know if it was linked, but the the job grading as the head of personnel for police came up a few years later, and it didn't go up. Maybe. Totally separate. Levers of power used to repay in a situation... But here, Paul says, I entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, verse 24, And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. A soft answer turns away wrath. Jesus said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the left also. Well, a criticism feels like a slap on the cheek, doesn't it? And Jesus saying, don't answer back, don't slap back. Show some meekness. The meekness and gentleness of Christ. Think of your saviour in the way in which you respond to the situation. 1 Peter 2 and verse 23. When he was reviled, insulted, accused, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Meekness. I saw a poster once. No, I was told of a poster that somebody else seen on church board. If you think it's weak to be meek, try being meek for a week. If you think it's weak to be meek, try being meek for a week. It's Christ-like. It's not easy. But the meek root is the right root in the face of criticism. So you're in the crucible of criticism. It can feel like that sometimes. Sometimes we're very responsive, very Hurt by criticism. Can you be like Christ? Copy Christ's meekness, not rash boldness. Second lesson. Use forceful truth, not fleshly tactics. Now, whilst Paul doesn't punch back, nor is he just rolling over, there's too much at stake in this situation for that says in verse 3, the word flesh is used in two different ways in verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. So though we walk in the flesh, we are weak, we are frail, we are imperfect. We're not waging war according to the flesh. That is, we're, we're not being worldly, 
fleshly, brutal in the way in which we're responding. We're not responding by mere godless human standards. See, you can, we can, you can, we can operate, if you like, according to the flesh, worldly, godlessly, when we are criticised. Their fleshly worldliness was lots of impressiveness, lots of show, lots of fanfare. Other worldly ways can be manipulation, untruth, making people feel guilty, they're turning them against you in, in devious ways. Other fleshly ways can be use of money, corruption. Other fleshly ways can be intimidation. And Paul says, oh, I'm, not, I'm not waging warfare like that. I'm not using godless, worldly methods in handling this situation. There is a force, there is a power, it's the force of truth. It's the truth about Jesus which I'm using in response to this criticism and to the need of the situation. Verses 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. So they are powerful, they're forceful, to destroy strongholds. They take things, they, they recover things. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So use forceful truth. Yeah, but you speak truth into the situation. Point to Christ into the situation. Remember that it's not ultimately about you, it's about him and try and bring his truth and character and word into the situation and may have a force, a capturing influence on the whole scene. So much better than the fleshly, worldly alternatives which might have gone down well with the Corinthian opponents. The song, In Reverence and Awe, perhaps you know, In Reverence and Awe, it goes on, Light to chase the lies. Teach me, open my eyes with truth to free me. Light to chase the lies, Lord Jesus, let me meet you in your word. So it's light that chases the lies, the untruth out, forceful truth. Use forceful truth, not fleshly tactics. Sometimes you come across this description, uh, an iron fist in a velvet glove. So that the person's not a pushover, there's some strength behind them, but there's a, a softness to the way in which they are. And in some ways that, that is a Christian way where there are matters at stake you can't just roll over but there's a softness, a kindness, a meekness in the way in which it's handled. So, you're in the crucible of criticism. Ways in which you're tempted to use fleshly tactics. Instead, forceful truths. A third lesson is use authority for building up. Use authority for building up. So Paul has authority. He's in Christ. Verse 7 makes that clear. They seem to be dismissing him, saying he's not even in Christ, or those with him. Look what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is in Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is in Christ... So also are we. 
More than that, he was an apostle. God had made him a special servant of Christ. He had authority. There is such a thing as authority in the family, in the state, in the workforce, in the church. There is such a thing as authority. And authority can be used or it can be misused. It can be used or it can be misused. Now I have to say with actually quite a lot of sadness that the evangelical world has not always been good with its use of power. In in recent years there have been some very sad high profile cases of evangelical teachers, preachers, well known ones who have been using power Badly, so badly that they have had to stop their ministries because of their bullying tactics. And that is very sad, I think. Very sad. Power can be misused. We need to be so careful. Elders are reminded in 1 Peter 5 and verses 2 to 3, they're shepherds of the flock, to shepherd the flock of God which is among them, using oversight not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So sometimes there there is exercise of authority, there has to be, there are decisions that have to be made, there are unpopular decisions that have to be made, there is a need for firmness, there is sometimes a need for discipline, there is sometimes a misuse. Sometimes a misuse. People think, I'll show them who's boss. Could be the insecure husband in the way he treats his wife. Could be the harsh father in the way he deals with his children. Could be the autocratic boss, autocratic boss. Misuse of authority. How did Paul see his authority? How did he use his authority? We're into verse 8 now. For even if I boast a, a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you. Paul saw his authority for building them up, not destroying them. He could have hurt them, he could have repaid them, but he wanted to bless them. He wanted to grow them. He wanted them to be stronger Christians. He wasn't going to use his authority in a sort of punch-up to prove who was boss. He was thinking about what's going to help these folks, what's going to make them better Christians, what's going to unite their church, what's going to make the gospel grow. I'm going to use my authority, I'm going to use the levers of power I have to build up, not to destroy. Sometimes when we're criticised, we see red. In a way, we really need to see green, if I can put it like that. We need to see growth. We need to say, how can I respond to this in a way which will be a blessing and a help to that person, to their relationships, to the advance of the gospel, to the honour of Christ? Are you in the crucible of criticism? 
use your influence to build up. Lesson number four. Be wise and consistent in communication. Be wise and consistent in communication. So you've heard what they were saying in verse 10. Let's look at that again. For they say, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. So they were saying really that his speech is tame, but his letters are fierce. As one person said, it's as if he's a teddy bear when he's here and he's a grizzly bear when he's away. He's a commander in pen, but a coward in the flesh. And Paul has to correct that. He does in verse 11, because it's two-faced And they're saying, you don't know where you stand with Paul. And you don't want to be frightened by his letters. He's inconsistent. You mustn't take any notice. So he corrects that in verse 11, that it's not true. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absence, we do when present. Because... It will help trust and it will help integrity and it will help relationship and it will help gospel unity if somebody is consistent and if they realise they're being consistent in their communication. Now I think this has a relevance, you know. Consistent communication by speaking and by writing. By speaking and by typing. I think it's especially true in our current sort of situation with emails. It may be also of texts, it may be also of messages. But it is possible to be, to be rough, to be unkind, to be thoughtless, to be too straight on emails, but very, very kind and nice in person. It's possible for all your anger and your frustration come out almost in the safety of the keyboard, but never reflect what you're like to the person one-to-one. It's good as we're thinking of writing or, 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 or typing to, to do so in such a way as if we were directly speaking to the person, that there's a consistency, a wisdom in our communication. Um, Somebody gave me this uh, at some point. It's called email guidelines. Email guidelines. There's actually 12 email guidelines, but I shall give you five of them. So here we go. I think think there's a lot of wisdom in these. Four. Never write something you would not say to a person face-to-face. This is a most important one, which is frequently forgotten. Six. Never criticise someone for what they have done and then copy your email to a large number. This is devastating and can leave the recipient feeling he has been demolished. Eight, consider the tone of your message. What was meant to sound funny can come across as flippant. What was meant to be funny may sound sarcastic. Ten, if you have typed something in anger or self-defence, and who hasn't, always wait a day or two before sending it. 
It is possible, if possible, get another to read and invite their comments before sending. Twelve, do all things in love. Now, it's not saying that, that writing will never be used, but we do need to be careful with what we write. Sometimes it's so much better to pick up the phone or to catch somebody's. So much better to, to let them see the, the warmth of your love for them. And sometimes this consistency actually may mean up in the clarity of what we say. There's that side to it. So verse 11, he was reminding them. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter, when absence, we do when present. I am going to be. I'm going to be straight about this. Verse 2. That when I am present, I may have to show you boldness with such confidence. So if the things that really need to be said, well, pray over it, think over it, Say it humbly, say it lovingly, but if it's necessary, say it. So, be wise and consistent in communication. Is that relevant to you in the thrust crux of criticism? I guess it's got relevance to quite a lot of our situations. It's only been relevant to a lot of my situations. So, things about our forcefulness. But the last three are about our focus. Our focus. And we're, we're following down the chapter. We've got now to about is it verse 12. And we find some other things here which are all relevant to these situations where criticism has, has come in and handling them well and wisely. This is the first. Beware of the comparison game Beware of the comparison game. So the imposters compared themselves with Paul very favourably. He was short, unimpressive, stuttery. Uh, They were impressive in their uh, physical attributes and what they could say. They looked down at Paul. They compared themselves to him. They also compared themselves with one another. And comparison is a dangerous Business And Paul doesn't go that route, certainly not on fleshly things anyway. Verses 12 and 13. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So the advert says, go compare, doesn't it? You've seen the advert, go compare. Well, wisdom usually says, don't compare, don't compare. How is comparison dangerous? It stirs up pride. It provokes resentment when you know you're a competitive rivalry spirit that gets developed when there's too much comparison going on. It leads to discouragement. It tends to home in on secondary issues. Sometimes when we're compared with others, it can be very discouraging. And Paul himself could retreat after this bad comparison. 
But the stakes are too high, so he, he's, he rises above the comparison game. He doesn't get knocked by it. He's not intimidated by their poor comparisons of him. He may be low, if you like, in the league tables of physique as far as they're concerned. He may not be rated very highly on their oratory scorecards. As they jostle amongst themselves for pole position, it may be that they think Paul is at the back of the grid. But he's not getting drawn into that. He's not getting down by that. He's not getting distracted or knocked off course by that. And maybe you find it easy to be floundered by the comparisons that are made in some of the criticisms. Well, that probably won't be very helpful. And it's so hard, and it's so difficult, and it does hurt so much. But beware of the comparison game. Rise above it. See above it. Don't compare, other than go compare. Another lesson as we go down. Number six. Focus on God's agenda. Focus on God's agenda. Well, these super apostles, as they're called, these imposters, they've boasted uh, about a lot. But Paul concentrates on what God has called him to do. And that included the conversion and the growth of the Corinthian church. On God's agenda, they were part of his patch and responsibility and calling. Verses 13 and 14. But we will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even you. For we're not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you, for we were the first to come to you all the way to you with the gospel of Christ. And in fact, as he focuses on God's agenda... His sights are not just with the Corinthians, but on beyond the Corinthians. He is the apostle to the Gentiles and he wants the gospel to grow beyond them and he wants them to be on board with the advance of the gospel beyond them. Hence he carries on in verse 15, we do not boast beyond limit in the labour of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another area of influence. When you are criticised, it's very helpful to have a clear sense of God's agenda. It's very stabilising, it's very, it's the right perspective to try and introduce, especially when you feel emotional and knocked, to have a, a good grasp of the Bible's priorities, that will be part of that but also some realisation of where you fit in and and what the priorities are for you. Nehemiah in the Old Testament was often criticised. It's a good case study in criticism, actually. Some stinging criticism was sent his way, but he knew what God had given him to do. And I love the clarity with which he answers some of his critics 
Let me just dip into Nehemiah 6 and verse 3. Sambalat and Tobiah are the critics. They send their criticism, their insults. Verse 3, And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave and come down to you? Got a clear sense of God's agenda. The wall's to be built and he's not being put off by these critics, Sambalat and Tobiah. Verse 8 in the same chapter. Then I sent to him saying, this is after another false accusation, no such things as you say have been done, for you're inventing them out of your own mind. And then he carries on in prayer, but now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Help me to get on with the job. Yes, that's helpful, isn't it? Handling criticism. Try and be clear on God's agenda. Stick with God's agenda. I was thinking of parents again in relation to this. Parenting is a difficult job, isn't it, to do wisely. But you've got a calling from God as parents. You've got a calling from God as parents to love your children, uh, to bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Maybe sometimes you feel pressures in our current society not to invest time in your children, not to try and influence them spiritually. And you have to say, no, I am doing a great work and I'm going to carry on. This is God's agenda for me. This is God's calling for me. I'm imperfect at it, but I shall do it with the best that I can. Focus on God's agenda. And our parting point is related but slightly separate. And that is focus on God's approval. Focus on God's approval. The big thing is knowing God and his approval. So he ends with verses 17 and 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one who the Lord commends, approves, compliments. For it's not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Otherwise, it's not so much about what people think, but what the Lord thinks. Um, you've probably heard of Dan Walker, he's an evangelical Christian, often in the public eye. He gets a lot of criticism from all quarters. Um, I saw something about him on Premier Christian Radio, um, and uh, he said, I never mind what people write or say about me. This was interesting. He said, that's because as a Christian, I don't take my value from what people think about me. He carries on and says, I've developed the skin of a rhino. Well, most of us haven't got the skin of a rhino. I haven't got the skin of a rhino. I don't know many of us have. But this is significant, isn't it? I don't take my value from what people think about me. And the more we are taken up with what God thinks and less about what people think, 
the easier it will be, and I would say the more useful we will be. This is a a massive step. I think for many of us, this is a lifelong um, project being increasingly taken up with what God thinks and not so much taken up with the opinions of others. But it's a resting point and it's liberating. I remember at work once being... um, told to, to, to lie down the phone to somebody. It was to sort of tell them I'm out of the office. You're there, I can't tell you. She's out of the office. And you, in your work situations, perhaps come to situ- things like that where you're, you're being told to handle a situation untruly, uh, dishonestly. And it, if you are straightforward, wise, diplomatic, however you do it, but you're wise and straightforward, but sometimes you'll get the frowns of others. You're petty and picky and, oh, I told you to do it that way, and why didn't you do it that way? And you say, well, and then you, but you rest, don't you? And you say, look, I want the Lord's approval, not yours. That's what you're thinking. You probably don't tell them that. I want the Lord's approval, not yours. Nehemiah. Oh. Nehemiah, he often prays these little prayers and, and I read into these prayers a sort of, oh, Lord, it's just been so hard, I've been battered by criticism, so many people have been against me, but what really matters is, is, what, is your take on it, Lord. And so, Nehemiah 13 and verse 14, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for his service. Being thrown um, by criticism doesn't just discourage us, you see, it can threaten the work. If Paul caves in, if Paul caves in here because of the flack he's getting from these opposers, the Corinthians don't get built up. They don't get enlarged in their faith. The gospel is not advanced. It, it, the issue is beyond just our own feelings. So we need to rise above it, if we can, and seek God's approval. There's quite a lot in chapter 10, isn't there, really? Maybe you found it a bit too much. If you can't take it all in, think about your current situations I think, are there some lessons from it here about my forcefulness? And are there some lessons for me here about my focus? I'm just going to allow um, a minute or so for reflection. Maybe you want to home in on one or two of the lessons, pray through them before we finish on a very um, spot-on song to finish.
So, our last uh, song follows on very well from particularly the second half of what we've been looking at. Lord, be my vision, supreme in my heart. Bid every rival give way and depart. You my best thought in the day or the night, waking or sleeping, your presence, my light. Shall we stand to sing our last hymn? a note just to remind you there are teas and coffees available afterwards so do look out for those let's pray Lord we are sorry for any times where we have been the the giver of criticism in a way which has been unfair and hurtful not humble help us to be wise in our communication and the things that we say to others, seeking their good and their blessing and the advance of the gospel. Lord, help us as receivers of criticism to value what is good, to take advice 
to take nuggets of truth, even where it's mixed. But Lord, where uh, criticism feels unfair and not well grounded, then give us these Christ-like attitudes in response, that response of meekness, concern to seek your approval, to keep to your agenda. Grant us then to learn these lessons from this chapter for your glory, for the sake of the gospel we pray. Amen.